This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Y'all, on today's episode, I get to talk to Simone St. James. And honestly, it was just so much fun to get to sit back with her and talk about her amazing new book, The Book of Cold Cases, which comes out tomorrow, March 15th. It was just so much fun to get the chance to sit down and talk with Simone and really ask her about the book, about her process, about characters, but also about what she gets at the grocery store. I won't hold y'all any longer. I'm going to transition over into our recording in just a minute here. But before I do that, remember, you can find us nerds. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. You can visit our website, professionalbooknerds.com. Or if you have any questions, suggestions for the future, you want to talk about what you're reading right now, you want to share with me your favorite true crime, you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. I think that's all of that out of the way. So without any further delay, let's listen to Simone St. James. Hello and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, y'all. My guest today's Twitter bio says it best. She's the author of Spooky Books, is a New York Times and USA Today bestseller, and is a winner of two Ritas and an Arthur Ellis Award. She loves sushi and all things ghostly. Her new book, The Book of Cold Cases, comes out March 15th from Berkeley Books and features true crime, an unsolved 70s cold case, a possible female serial killer, lots of rain, and maybe the things that entice me the most, 1970s decor, and not one, but two handsome detectives. It's Simone St. James. Welcome. Hi, Nate. Thank you for having me here. I'm so glad you could join us today. I'm really excited to talk about this book. I will be a nerd and say I do have a a final copy sitting here with me. I only just got mine the other day. Things are delayed in the this era. So I only got my, my hard copies the other day was quite exciting day. I couldn't have been happier to open it up. The book is beautiful. What a beautiful, like final cut. It is beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. So before we dive in, I wanted to ask you uh, to just give us an overview of the book. Uh, Sure. Um, It's my sort of mix up of true crime, suspense, thriller, mystery, paranormal, and romance thrown in. Um, as always, it's it's the kind of book that I want to read and can't find, so I have to write it myself. It's usually how I come up with all of my ideas. So I love all of those things, so I put them all together in one book. Uh, the story is very briefly about um, an infamous serial murder case from the 1970s, which is a completely fictional case that I made up. It's not a real case. And um, 
a woman was uh, arrested for the murders as a serial killer and was acquitted in court. And in the present day, um, a true crime blogger gets the chance to interview this woman. Um, and she says, I'm going to tell you everything that really happened um, in the 1970s. And so they get a chance to sit down together and it's a pretty wild ride. It's absolutely a wild ride. <laughs> I, I saw your, I saw this book pop up in our list of just like what's coming, what looks hot. And you truly, I'm grateful that you wrote this because everything you listed is also what I'm looking for and is really hard to find it out is. there. I just take everything I like and I put it in one book and I'm like, why doesn't everybody do this? <laughs> I guess I'm the, I figure I'm the only person who likes it. But then I, I find all these readers who are like, these are all the things I like in one book. <laughs> I really wish more people would take that approach because yeah, you checked all the boxes. Yes. <laughs> um, I actually included this in our March books preview list. And so when you were able to join us, I was super excited to get in depth. Now, I heard online that you were inspired to start writing uh, by The Hobbit, that you kind of wanted to be the person who wrote The Hobbit, and that the writing originally was just kind of for yourself. And, uh, you know, you started off in that fantasy realm, and that was kind of the early inspiration for your writing. But what other kind of media inspires your current style today? Uh, I was inspired by The Hobbit specifically that I wanted to rewrite The Hobbit with a girl protagonist. Uh, as a very young reader, I was like, I love this book, but I really wish that there, this book existed with a girl. So that was kind of, you can kind of see the genesis of all my books from that. Absolutely. Um, um, but other types of media that inspire me, I mean, I definitely uh, started reading Stephen King way before I should have been reading Stephen King. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Stephen King has influenced, I think, a lot of writers um, who all of us read him way too early. Uh, Other than that, I mean, you know, I I grew up before um, before the boom in YA fiction. I grew up pre Harry Potter, pre Twilight, pre Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as a as a young reader. You know, it, it was just like you went from kids books and then you just like, as I say, you went to Stephen King or whatever adult books you could get your hands on. The Hobbit, the Hobbit was the closest to a YA book that was around at that time. Um, so uh, that was so I, th- those were the kinds of books that I could get my hands on at my library, really. Um, and um, it, yeah, it was it was it was just sort of whatever. It was a weird time because it was whatever you physical book you could get your hands on as a kid mm-hmm. or as a teen. Um, very different from now. And I'm very jealous of the kids and the teens now when they just have like just this explosion of literature that they can pick from and they can just download an ebook or they could go to their library or download ebooks from their library or audiobooks or all this stuff. Right. And um, it must be great. I'm very jealous of kids <laughs> and teens today for their reading choices, I have to say. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you make a beautiful point of you really have the pipeline of you went from Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys directly into kind of like Tolkien, King, whatever you could get your hands on. Um, I'm of that like, I'm right in between. I was I was young as Harry Potter was coming out, like I was waiting at midnight to take my new book from Borders. I'll date myself with Borders. so I, I did have good young reading selections, but every day I see a new a new teen or a new young reader book come out that just really excites me that I'm so glad exists. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, and I, I only could I only read Stephen King because I have an older brother and that that was his bookshelf. 
so I was raiding my brother's bookshelf. Yeah. You take what you can get, right? Exactly. The, pow- the power of reading is strong. And if that's what's available, you dive in. Yeah. So the book has a really beautiful time shift element. I'm super partial to jumping between, you know, the past and the present. Um, so we start in 1977 and then move to 2017 in Oregon. First, how did you decide on 2017 as your shift point? I'm trying to think back to when I actually came. It might be the year that I came up with the original idea for the germ of the idea for the book. Sure. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, that is probably the year that I just first came up with the very beginning of the concept. Okay. Um, and... I think that's just the only reason because um, I, I started writing definitely in one, tw- I think I started writing it in 2019. Um, so, or 2018, I can't remember. I t- my, my ideas germinate for a really, really long time before I start writing. They buzz around in the back of my brain and I come up with different, I collect different th- ideas that I put together and some of them work and some of them don't and I'm discarding things and this is all before I start writing and I'm pondering the characters the characters have to come really clearly to me before I start writing so my books I've come to realize over the years the pre-writing time for my books is actually very long (laughs) which is not something I knew as as a as a debut author as a new author 10 years ago was not something I knew about my process but it's something I've come to learn so that is probably when the germ of the idea came and I just picked that and then the the past timeline is 1977 so I had a nice clean 40 years and that's an easy number for me to remember going back and forth is just 40 years um and and my one character, Beth Greer, in the 70s, she's in her 20s. So in the current timeline, she's she's in her 60s, which is not actually very old. So she's right. I wanted her to still be um, I didn't want her to, to I didn't want the timeline to be so long that, that she would be like really a, a really late senior. I wanted her to be like a, she was, she's still an incredibly vital uh, mm-hmm. woman in her 60s, which also means she's a potentially dangerous woman in her 60s. And so. I had some fun with the idea of like, if you're going to meet a woman in her sixties, who at one point was accused of being a serial killer, Mm -hmm. um, are you scared? Like, are you, are you thinking, well, this is a bad idea. I mean, (laughs) if you're you're going to meet a man who you think is a serial killer, you're like, well, this is a dumb idea. I shouldn't do this. (laughs) Right. But if it's a woman in her sixties, there's this, there's this assumption that this is not a frightening person, but I wanted to play with that with the idea of a woman in her sixties being a kind of a frightening person. Absolutely. When you were describing that she was still vital, I would say she was my immediate thought when you were saying that was she's still terrifying. Like there is yes. still that that air and element of power with Beth. You never you never lose that. Just even from the first scene that Shay is introduced to her in the doctor's office, um, and she's sitting there very almost supermodel esque is is what my brain was imagining. Very poised, like as you say, Helen Mirren, like right, um, and. Right you can tell that even though she's living comfortably knowing that the people in today's day and age don't seem to know about her as much or, you know, select few do, she still has and holds a presence and she's not frail. Yes. And, and it plays, I play around with the imagery because when she was a young woman in her twenties, everyone Mm -hmm. underestimated her. She's just, they assume she's just some dumb young idiot you know she's right. good looking she's rich she's got to be brainless and the same thing happens when a, any person especially women but when any person hits their 60s everyone assumes that this is just a harmless old person quote unquote old person <laughs> right. right so um well, you know they they kind of 
people in their 60s kind of be, they talk about this often they kind of become invisible it's like nobody even really sees them anymore so again through her whole life beth is just completely underestimated everyone is underestimated her um and maybe they should be rethinking that <laughs> absolutely they should <laughs> now what inspired you uh, to go the route of the true crime blogger is that just part of the i enjoy I enjoy this thing. So that's her career or what kind of made your, your character Shay? Well, um, I certainly, I, I love true crime. I think that's kind of obvious. From definitely. I definitely, <laughs> I love true crime, but I specifically made her a blogger and it's kind of funny because I had one or two reviews point out like, who's a blogger anymore? Like that's kind of <laughs> right. But, and that's true, but I kind of, it, it's very clearly just like her side gig. It's her hobby. Mm-hmm. It is, she's not, I don't, I don't give the impression that she's like making millions of dollars off of this. She does this because she kind of can't help herself. She comes home after work and she sits down and she writes about the things that are really on her mind. Um, Like the cases that are unsolved that are really bothering her. And so I just wanted, I wanted to be sort of an expression of the fact that she's got this side thing that is kind of her obsession and she she doesn't, she's not some sort of raging success at it. She doesn't make millions she just does it because she kind of can't stop. And, um, and also when you have, I I don't tend to write like police procedurals. So my Mm -hmm. main characters are not cops. Um, That's kind of not the route I go. I tend to write um, main characters who are outside of the, the law enforcement system. And they're just sort of figuring things out from their perspective. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on with this case that Shay has no access to um she and she there's even stuff to the very end that she will never get access to like she has a she has this police this retired detective she interviews and he's like I'm not giving you this I'm not giving you that I'm not answering Mm -hmm. this question I'm not answering that question so there are certain things that she will never get access to and to me that's sort of part of the fun of following her around is figuring out what she's going to find and maybe what what roadblocks she comes across absolutely and it's it it was really great as a reader to see that she is she is a person like the rest of us she has her day job that she's kind of slogging through and she goes home and her passion comes alive at night but also that like you said she doesn't have all the access and she doesn't have all the answers and so you have this really great kind of supporting role in michael um the, right. the PI that she consults with, um, who's always editing articles for her site or kind of reviewing them to make sure they, they read properly. Um, aside from your editor, do you have someone in your life who you trust with those early drafts for an opinion? Yeah, I have, I have two very close writer friends and they don't write thrillers. They don't write mysteries, mm-hmm. but, they, but they will pick up my early draft and tell me very honestly, um, what works and what doesn't, um, just from a reader's perspective and what kind of, where they, where they got lost, what didn't mm-hmm. get explained properly, what, you know, where it fell down. And, and also they'll, of course, they'll tell me what's good about it. So um, sure. I do. So I have two trusted writer friends who get an early draft. And other than that, that's it. I, I rewrite it myself. I rewrite mm-hmm. every draft, every book myself, at least once or twice before it goes to my editor. And then my wow. editor takes a scalpel to it as which is her job and right. do then. um so um i do a lot of self-editing as well but i definitely rely on their opinions because you get to the point in self-editing once you've worked on a book for like a number of months 
you start to lose your sense of direction. You don't, you're, you don't really, you don't have a compass anymore. And you're kind of like, I think this is good, but I actually don't even know what the scene I'm writing. Right. This seems good. And then you read it again. And you're like, oh, it's terrible. And then the next day you read it again. You're like, no, it's good. And then you read it again. You're like, no, it's terrible. It's exhausting. Right. So yeah. at that point you just need another opinion to be like, is this terrible? And it's like a yes or no question. <laughs> That's all I need. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's super helpful to have those kind of people in your life, especially when they are other writers, but they are not the people writing the same thing as you. They can actually approach it as a reader, but also as someone who knows what it's like to take this to print. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're, they're, there comes a point, like I say, where it's not even like the person um, needs to, give you some sort of like detailed editorial like you get Mm -hmm. to a point like i say where you're like this whole section does this work is this is this exciting and interesting yes or no because i can't tell anymore and they and they if i ask them they will just say yes that works or no it works to a certain point but i would change this one thing so yeah it's it's very helpful to have that now what ways do you engage with the true crime community as you said this book is a clear testament to your love of true crime but um do you listen to true crime podcasts, blogs, forums, Reddit threads, documentaries? What's your kind of, do you have any favorite um, recs? Well, a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely a big My Favorite Murder fan. Um, Absolutely. And, but My Favorite Murder isn't the only podcast I listen to. I listen to a lot that are not comedy ones. Um, so I definitely have my true crime podcast fix when I'm doing chores. I do, I listen a lot while I'm driving. It's a great time mm-hmm. to listen to a podcast. And, um, I also, I do, I read a lot of true crime books actually. Um, like I've tried to get through, I, I actually, even every once in a while, I, I pull up a list of like classic true crime books and I try and get, uh, you know, try and get through them. Like, you know, I've read in cold blood, I've read the stranger beside me. I've read a lot of Anne rule, you know, like I've read, you know, a whole bunch of different really cool classic true crime books and that gives you a really good background for some of this stuff um i don't read true crime all the time because a steady diet of it can be kind of anxiety inducing and depressing and sometimes you know there's a lot of stuff in there that's really really disturbing people are capable of very disturbing things so you know i'm not always in the mood for it but um i definitely return to it over and over again when i'm in the mood I'm with you on that 100%. You got to be in the right mood. And the same reason I keep the comedy true crime in my back pocket is for when, you know, the the serial stalking, whatever kind of shows are just a little too much for the moment. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, there you get you get to the point sometimes where you're just like, okay, backing away. (laughs) I'm going to go read a comedy novel or something. I'm going to take a big step back and just just read some Sunday comics at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I had to bring up the the clear love of true crime um, because I also wanted to take a moment to talk about just any of the communities online. You say it really well as Shay is moderating her website one night that people can get just as angry about a 20-year-old cold case as they can about modern politics. And that that really stuck with me because it's no matter what kind of fandom of the internet you're in or what kind of interests you share people it's it's pretty polarizing out there it is it is and so yeah i have like i have dipped into like you know various reddit communities and whatnot uh reddit is and reddit is a pretty you know cool place for true crime Mm -hmm. there's a lot of interesting people on there but it can easily become very 
weirdly argumentative and toxic, which is kind of where that comment came from. Absolutely. Now, with your characters, do you ever model them after people in your life? Uh, I do not. Okay. I just make them up. Um, Usually with my heroines, people like Shay and whatnot, um, my heroines are usually women that I would, uh, if they were real, I would like to hang out with them. Absolutely. <laughs> That's honestly it. And they're not, they're flawed people. I mean, they're not, they're not perfect people, but I don't want to hang out with a perfect person. She's just, I just find her interesting. Um, because it takes me, like I say, from the germ of the idea to the release of the book. I mean, it's a very, very long period of time I'm spending with this character. Right. So for me, I write characters that I like hanging out with purely for selfish reasons, because if it, to if I and there's there's a lot of books that really good books that are written about very toxic people and right um those are really fascinating to read but as a writer I can't imagine spending several years on a project about very toxic characters um that's just personally I would not be able to do it <laughs> absolutely you wouldn't want to spend that much time sitting with a toxic person no, no. I I really appreciate your approach of creating what you want to see in the world and basically writing people that you want to hang out with that's that's a really fresh perspective yeah and it, it's the only yeah it's the only thing that 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 really works for me just to keep mm-hmm. me doing book after book after book because I'll come up with the germ of an idea and sometimes the first few iterations of it in my mind are like, oh, maybe there's all these, you know, dark people and all these toxic things. And then after a little while, I think, God, I can't, I can't, I got to find, put somebody in there I really like. <laughs> and I usually really like a lot of my characters, even the ones that are kind of iffy um, or nasty in some way. Um, I see people as just being, people are never just one thing. They're usually right. more than one thing. So um, I, I tend to put that in my books as well. Even the people like Beth is, is almost impossible to categorize. And I intentionally wrote her that way. She's, she's kind of, she's funny at times. She's mm-hmm. smart. She's incredibly selfish. She's a bit of a bitch. She might be a sociopath. We don't know. She's never been tested. She can't be bothered to go to any type of doctor or th- psychotherapist. So, I mean, she's just very much her own person and it's impossible for her to categorize, which is why it's been impossible for anyone to figure out whether she's a murderer or not. I think your approach creates characters that don't feel like characters, they feel like people. Mm -hmm. Um, They are so very dynamic. Now, speaking of Beth, you're would-be female serial killer. Uh, You describe her as looking in 2017 like Isabella Rossellini, or as I mentioned before, Helen Mirren. Um, Maybe that's just the energy she gives off. Maybe that's how you visualize her. As for Shay Collins, who would play her? Um, God, that's a really good question. I should probably... (laughs) I should probably do some... (laughs) I should probably do some internet research and find an actress that really fits her. She really just came, popped up into my mind. So I didn't base her on an actress specifically, right. uh, but I'm going, I'm going to do some looking and see. I'm going to do Absolutely. Yeah. I'll be looking forward to seeing that when you, <laughs> when you figure it out. Cause I, it, it was very clear to me who Beth was and knowing that Shay is just like this amalgam of things you enjoy and want to want to be around Mm. it would be a it'd be a tough role to cast but I'll be interested to see it yeah 
So as I start to wind us down, I do want to kind of lighten things up a little bit. I wanted to kind of start off with, I, I also love a slice of life scene within a story. And one that honestly jumped out to me because I relate to it so hard is when Shay is shopping, she's on the phone with her sister. You know, there's that, that back and forth between them. I am, I'm constantly living that reality. If it's not my sister, it's my mother. Um, the question though, hard left turn, what are your go-to grocery items? What's always in your shopping cart? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've never been asked this. (laughs) Oh God. Let's see. Um, well, coffee, I've Mm -hmm. never had coffee. (laughs) Never. I actually usually have a coffee and backup coffee and then backup, backup coffee because I live on it. You're my kind of person. Um, there's usually, um, a, something chocolate that mm-hmm. I, uh, then put in my desk drawer because I'm under the impression that if I put it in my desk drawer, I won't eat it all, <laughs> but it's like emergency chocolate Yep. <laughs> because that hits and I don't need a lot. I just have to have something. Uh, so there's always emergency chocolate, uh, in my house. And, um, other than that, I mean, um, oh, I, whatever I can think of to cook with, which is like some weeks, some weeks is I can figure it out. And some weeks I am just absolutely, I just, I'm just stumped. Uh, cooking is like something I can do sometimes. And sometimes it's like, I can't think of a single thing. <laughs> just toast. How about toast? <laughs> yeah. We'll make sure there's a loaf of bread in there and some eggs. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I fall victim to that too. I I'm a, I'm a pretty decent cook, but when it comes to making that grocery list, uh-uh, not, not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what do you turn on for your go-to ghostly fix? Ghostly fix? Yeah, or your supernatural. Do you do, you do any of the, the spooky? Um, well, I uh, adore um, all of Mike Flanagan's series on Netflix, uh, The mm-hmm. Haunting of Hill House. Absolutely. Um, and Midnight Mass was his latest one. Blew me away. I found that incredible. That's not specifically ghosts, but um, it, it works. was just incredible. <laughs> it works. Um, the Haunting of Hill House is one is a series that I've actually and the Bl- Haunting of Bly Manor, the second one. Mm-hmm. I've watched them a couple of times because there are some of those there there are things in those that come you see the more times you watch. Um, and I am planning in a rewatch of Midnight Mass, but I'm kind of not ready yet. I have to be in the right mindset. I also need to have a really clear schedule. Uh, to just sort of binge it. Get uh, it. Yeah, but uh, definitely those are um, some of the ghostly things that I go to for sure when I'm in the mood. Now, lover of sushi, what's your go-to order? What's your role? What's your your sushi vibe? Okay, so um, anything salmon mm-hmm. is my favorite. And um, the other thing I really love, which is odd, um, but th- for some reason, a good sushi restaurant does it great, is avocado. They yes. the avocado, just the avocado rolls and for some reason it doesn't taste the same as if you just eat some avocado <laughs> and i don't know how they do it um, right but a, a, like a really good avocado roll it doesn't even have to have sushi in it is like mm-hmm. it can is a just a delicious delicious thing to eat but um other than that yeah i mean like i like i like my salmon and my tuna and uh yeah i i'm kind of adventurous with rolls Okay. I'll do whatever I'll, I'll pick randomly, like whatever looks really different and interesting and something I haven't had before. I'm pretty adventurous with those too. I think that's the, the right way to do the sushi bar. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now I saw online that the audiobook is currently in the making. I I'm the audiobook stand on the podcast. Oh yes. Uh, what is what has the process been like? Have you what have you been experiencing? Just as uh, as it's coming together. Yeah, they um, it's been really sweet. They uh, so the audiobook is being produced in house, like with my publishers. Like mm-hmm. sometimes it can be where because the publisher owns the audiobook rights and somewhere in their offices, which has nothing to do with me, sometimes they make the decision to sell those rights off to an external company and external company records it. And sometimes they keep it and they use their in-house audiobook people. So, so they've been doing it in-house for the last couple of books. So that means I get um, an, an email and sometimes um, a phone call from the the audiobook producer will call me up or email me first and then call me up. And, and we'll talk about it and we'll talk, he, he, it's, it's been a he so far. He -hmm. will talk to me about if he has any questions about how things are pronounced, various names are pronounced. And then what he has been doing is he gives me options of like, who do you think we should, how do who do you think, what voice actors should we hire? So they, I don't know whether, I mean, I don't know whether they would like strictly follow what I tell them, but they certainly listen to (laughs) my input and I'm a huge huge audiobook person like I am nuts about audiobooks so this is always like one of my favorite parts and so uh, with Sundown Motel they sent me a ton of samples of various Mm -hmm. and like they we consulted about with Sundown Motel because that had two timelines and two heroines and I said well it's really best if we have two voices and then that audiobook listener it's crystal clear to the audiobook listener which character you're dealing with so we had two and they're both women so we had two two female narrators and Coming to to this book, we actually decided to hire the same female narrators because they did such an incredible job on Sundown Motel. So they're returning. And then um, there are parts in the book that are kind of not narrated by either character. So there was a, we decided a third narrator would narrate some of those chapters. So that was a ton of fun. So they, they let me give, give some creative input at the beginning and then Mm -hmm. they just kind of run with it. And um I'm really excited about how it's going to turn out because it's a really talented team and they're really dedicated creatively and um, they just do amazing work. And the the feedback from the Sundown Motel audiobook was was really great. I loved it. I listened to it. So um, I'm really excited about the audiobook as well. That sounds like such an exciting production just to hear that it's coming together with so many unique it's voices. It's so funny because and... for Sundown Motel, the producer emailed me first because he didn't have my number and he was like, hey, I wanted to talk to you and I got some questions and some narrators. And he's like, here's, you know, and I was like, and I emailed him like right back. And I was like, here's my phone number. And he called <laughs> me and he was like, uh, I've never gotten an answer from an author this fast. <laughs> I was like, this is more exciting to me than writing the book. <laughs> you have right. no idea. I will call you anytime, day or night. <laughs> I will be here to talk about this audiobook. Don't you worry. <laughs> he was like, really like, he's like, are you, aren't you busy? And I was like, nope. <laughs> I'm not busy at all. <laughs> this is my project now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll really be looking forward to listening to the book of cold cases when the audiobook is out. That sounds super cool. Yeah. I'm excited to hear it too. I, I They're not finished it yet. So I certainly have not heard an advanced copy yet. So I'm pretty excited. Well, fingers crossed that's coming to your email soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. What are you reading right now? Oh, uh, <laughs> right now, right now. Uh, well, I'm usually have a couple going at once. Same. This this is going to be a left turn because okay. I tend to when like I don't read thrillers all the time because you can't just read one read and write one genre day in and day out for years. 
I'm actually reading a biography of Led Zeppelin. Oh, total left turn. I saw okay. it. I actually saw it in my life in the library. It's actually a paper book. I actually was excited because the libraries reopened and I could actually go in. I was pretty excited about that. Yes. I went to the library. I picked up and I saw they had a the librarians, the awesome librarians had made a display and they were like, here's some cool books. And I was like a book about a biography of Led Zeppelin, something I would never have picked up. And I picked it up and it's uh, it's so good. Actually, I'll give the name of it. Awesome. It's called Led Zeppelin, the biography. It's by Bob Spitz, uh, S-P-I-T-Z. And it just came out last year. And it is so readable. It reads like a novel. And if you love music, it is fantastic. And so that's my little, that's my little mental vacation down a whole path that has nothing to do with anything for work. (laughs) (laughs) You're walking to a totally different world. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Uh, so is there anything else about the book of cold cases you'd like our listeners to know? Um, well, it's hard to talk about this book without spoilers, but totally, <laughs> um, really just the reason I, I write all my books is so that you can just take an afternoon or an evening or a couple of days and sit down with a, your favorite drink and a blanket and just, just enjoy it. Um, and just go somewhere and, Yes, it's creepy. And yes, there are some creepy scenes in it. But, um, you know, it's, you know, it's gonna, you know, I, 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 I land you somewhere you're not going to be too upset about. And so you can just enjoy the ride and sit down and, um, and, and just, just enjoy it. It's just enjoy it. That's all I ask. Perfect words. Just enjoy (laughs) it and sit down with your favorite drink and a comfy blanket you will be surprised what time it is when you finally stand up again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Before I let you go, where can my friends find you online? Uh, I am on Twitter, which is Simone underscore St. James. Um, I have a Simone St. James Facebook page. I am Simone St. James on Instagram. Those are the main places. Perfect. Is there anything you need to promote or anything you'd like to throw out there before we go? uh no I don't think so Uh, this has been uh, really great thanks for the great conversation thank you Simone thank you for joining me today it's been an absolute pleasure and I really appreciate you sharing not only about your book but about yourself and once again listeners you can check out the book of cold cases by Simone St. James on March 15th from Berkeley thank you so much for joining us today and to everyone listening happy reading Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.